Let's talk a bunch of different topics. How her career get there. This is a podcast with Lauren Asgari. This is the Lauren Asgari podcast, How'd Her Career Get There? And my guest today is Carolyn Walton Lynch, who is the founder of Mixola. Hello, Lauren. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, so let's jump right into it. Let's talk about, uh, we'll, we'll come back to Mixola because we have a great okay. story there, but let's talk about uh, you as a little kid. Uh, where'd you grow up? Siblings? Well, I came from a big bunch. <laughs> I was born in Germany. My father was a military, um, career military person. And so we moved around a bit, but as a result, um, I lived in several places and uh, ended up in Maryland at age 18. And that's where I sort of started my life and career uh, as an adult. I went to University of Maryland, um, College Park, and um Luckily, my family, even though we were military, we're all pretty much in the same area in the Northeast and have created our own little dynasty here. So, so we're very connected and, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a great experience to have, you know, that background. Mm -hmm. It makes me flexible, you know, to just go anywhere. And what, what were you like as a little girl? What were some of your personality traits? Well, being number six, the last, <laughs> let's say I might be an attention seeker. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I had to sort of um, make sure my voice was heard. And as a result, I found myself being like this person that was always defending like the little person, so to speak, or someone who didn't have a voice. So um, we, used to, we had to be very creative because we moved a lot. And so we didn't have a lot of, sometimes our toys didn't make it or games. So we made up, we made up some interesting games. And uh, one of my favorites was like court. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and typically I was the one defending someone, you know, over some, you know, weird thing, like who stole the potato chips, you know, it was just crazy. But um, we had a lot of fun with that. And Serendipitously, I ended up having this class in, I think it was seventh grade in, in law. And I, I just fell in love with it. You know, I just thought this is, this is, this is the way that justice could be, you know, disseminated mm -hmm. and, and, uh, we can keep things fair on this earth. And so I had this in mind, you know, throughout my sort of secondary, uh, primary school, you know, career and call it a career. And, um, but interestingly enough, when it was time for me to go to college, just we had some issues. My father felt he was very ill. And um, I ended up sort of having to make a decision about what I was going to major in, you know, to sort of try to get through in four years because that I was somewhat limited. And I ended up majoring in accounting. Um, and um, it turned out to be a great choice for me. It doesn't offer me as much flexibility in terms of being creative, mm -hmm. but, um, it was the great thing that I, I can fall back on now mm -hmm. in my career. And it turned out that I did nothing but accounting, you know, things beyond accounting, way beyond accounting in my career, because I had in mind that there were certain things that I wanted. There was a, there was a mark that I wanted to leave on the world. Sure. You know, in terms of just being that an advocate for people, honestly, who, mm -hmm. you know, in some ways I, people perceive me as having confidence and somewhat fearless. I mean, it's just not completely true. I'm, I'm human, but on the other hand, I don't operate with limits in mind. Mm -hmm. You know, I just sort of, if there's an opportunity and I'm 
able-bodied, I'm going to pursue that opportunity. And I think that's what kind of fed my entrepreneurial spirit as well. Nature or nurture the fearlessness? Well, you know, I guess my, certainly my parents, you know, um, they also were confident enough to enter into spaces where maybe people didn't feel they belonged. Yeah. So, and being of a certain age, you know, I lived through certain um, periods in our, in American history that were difficult for people of color Mm -hmm. and also for women. So I, as my parents were, I found myself being a pioneer in certain instances, uh, being the first, so to speak, and also being the first, one of the first women in corporate, to navigate corporate America, mm-hmm. you know, in the, you know, in those days, in the late eighties, early eighties. Sure. <laughs> so, um, no, just watching them and my mother being an advocate for us as children, because often we would enter into school systems that were not yet integrated mm-hmm. and um, have issues with that where she would, but she would overcome. And um, as a result, she was able to, you know, make sure that we had certain opportunities and weren't closed. And again, that I, so I, I believe it's, yeah, definitely my parents set an example and not informing us that there were limits because that happens sometimes in communities, whether it's a mother informing her daughter to take a certain path mm-hmm. or, um, I don't know, a mother telling their child, you know, don't, don't be this way with the police, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the situation is. Um, you know, my parents really just didn't inform us that there were limits. And sometimes that was shocking <laughs> <laughs> because I would go out into the world and people would have a, a preconceived notion about what my capabilities were or my background. And so, so that was interesting. But on the other hand, I, like I said, I, I, I dealt with it and, when I could, I brought others along, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was women that I was nurturing in my circle or or minorities who were having issues with access. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 been a blessing in a way uh, because I've been able to be helpful and not necessarily a, distra- a distraction, so to speak. How do you handle, whether it's now or throughout your career, throughout your life, the situations where people did have preconceived notions, like, and what advice would you give to other people, whatever their circumstances are, where maybe they're in a similar situation? Well, I have this thing where find common ground. That's the first place you go. We, we all want the same things for ourselves, for our loved ones. And sometimes when we feel threatened by an outsider, we may tend to close that outsider off. But if you can find that common ground where I don't know, your child is looking at colleges. I mean, something as simple as that, mm-hmm. or or you had a grandmother who, you know, uh, went through something really difficult, whether it's through the Holocaust or, you know, some other, you know, difficult situation, we can all relate. Because mm-hmm. sometimes people, you know, they, they'll look at a certain marginalized community and say they're they're being victims. But it turns out that all of us have had certain experiences that have shaped us. Mm-hmm. And- there's similar experiences, maybe for different reasons. So I, I always see common ground, sometimes humor. <laughs> you know, I remember sitting in a boardroom once and I made it to the boardroom, right? And um, I was the only woman in the room, only minority in the room. And um, I was asked, you know, as an African-American, how certain employees in the company felt 
like all of the minorities. And I thought, well, I don't know. I didn't get a chance to call everyone this morning, <laughs> right, right? right? I don't know. <laughs> and the idea is, I think, if you look at them first as humans with specific needs as well, mm-hmm. then you can address whatever problem exists. And at that time, it was, again, corporate America was still shaping and including minorities and women. And it turned out that many of the minorities were at the bottom, but actually had higher educational qualifications. But certain people of other um, influences were getting supervisory positions. So, but it turned out that we were able to implement a, you know, a program to help people with their personal development Mm -hmm. and a path for them to get to certain positions so that it wasn't, you know, people weren't viewing it as, oh, you're just cheating me, you know, well, how do we help you get those skills that you need Mm -hmm. to keep moving forward in the company? And of course, someone to track them, some sort of mentor. So yeah, so there's, I think there's always a solution if we can just find that commonality Mm -hmm. and also what's the outcome we want. We want happy employees. Mm -hmm. We want people to do the work. We want them to be productive and we want to grow this company. So yeah, so that's kind of our approach. It really, and again, that's been my, I got that from my parents and um, I've just used it in most of my dealings with people. I love that. I love that. It's like the approach of, I mean, in life, it's like, we're all human. Like, let's start there first and foremost. And you said it, we're all human. Let's start there. And then everybody has commonalities that we can find if we just try a little bit. Yes. Yes. Um, So, so take me then to college. So you study accounting in college and then- Under uh, duress. (laughs) (laughs) You got to get out of there in four years. Yeah, I got to get this done. But I have to tell you, I mean, it wasn't a straight shot because I started with pre-law. Okay. But then I knew I had to switch it up and um, get it done Mm -hmm. and get to work. So it took me a little while. Do you remember being, sorry to interrupt you, do you remember being disappointed by that? Like, Yes, everything changed in terms of the direction I was going. So I- um, I had to, you know, I had to think on my feet. And again, like I said, I'm sort of adaptable. And I knew that I needed a college degree in order to, you know, just be influential or make a mark. Mm-hmm. So um, I sorted through it, but it, yeah, it was really tough. My Not only did my father get sick, my mother also ended up having open heart surgery. So it was just a sort of a drain on the family finances and attention and everything. It was just a bad, bad timing. So Maryland wasn't my first choice. (laughs) Yeah, I really wanted to go to an all-women's college. And it was also um, an HBCU, historically back, university, because I actually felt that I missed, in a way, like the full Black experience. Okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I missed some um, things that I might have... um, you know, that might've benefited me in terms of not always being in a position where I had to fight for what I needed, but actually where I was accepted, Mm -hmm. you know, and I thought that would be a cool experience. And, um, but that didn't work out. So I ended up in the big world because University of Maryland is like a microcosm Mm -hmm. of the world. And it was really, you know, again, it was just, I, I had to think on my feet and it turned out to be a great experience, except I did end up working full time, but I met so many different people from all over the world and it was just an amazing experience. It was the experience that was a continuation of my life Mm -hmm. and helped me grow in terms of being that person in the room that could, you know, relate to most people and advocate for them. So, so yeah, it was just a matter of 
looking at what are my options? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How can I sustain myself and have a career that I could, you know, really count on? And so I first business and then accounting, and then it turned out to be the thing that worked for me. Um, but I went from there. My first job was in law. I went to a law firm to see if somehow I could like still get my foot in there and figure out if this is the career that I wanted. Mm -hmm. But was there, you know, I ended up in a law firm that was a corporate law, which was like, not always the like most, you know, there was no altruistic. Was your vision of, of, was your vision of being a lawyer to be the person that represents or fight for those that can't fight for themselves? Absolutely. I mean, I, I even followed like class action suits. I was kind of a nerd, you know, where groups of people were, um, you know, discriminated against, whether it was a, someone in, I had spent some time in West Virginia and, um, followed some of the challenges with black lung and just some of the ways that people were treated Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of those things resonated with me, but that looking at that side, at that point, I felt, again, I needed to sort of build some wealth and begin my career. So after becoming a little disillusioned with law, <laughs> I, um, I went to corporate America. At that point, it was difficult to move into um, some of the large CPA firms because they hire right out of college. Mm-hmm. So I ended up at um, Ross Perot's company, Electronic data system. Ah, yes, 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 yes. You know, I don't know if people know he was an independent that ran for yeah, president. And yep. A little bit wacky, mm-hmm. but a brilliant businessman. Texan, right? Yes, he was from Texas, Waco. Um, so yeah, so that was um, really that experience at the law firm just sort of instructed me to get started on this accounting career, see what you can do with this. And I ended up in corporate America and um, EDS was my first stop. And then I went on to Bell Atlantic, um, now Verizon. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up in operations. I started as an internal auditor and I, no one, it was not. Nobody social, likes auditors. No. <laughs> Nobody likes auditors. Oh my God. I was like, <laughs> no one calls me. No one really wants to go out to lunch with me. You know, <laughs> I guess it would be, you could compare it to the police force having internal, I'm sorry, what is that called? The internal oh, investigators. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. You don't necessarily yeah. want them coming to visit you or calling you. So, um, so while I'm sitting there, you know, I make the most the most the most of situations. I started mapping out the um the um work processes, you know, just to see if there were weaknesses. You know, I mean, they hired me for something. And I think at the time they were having trouble with errors in some of their advertising. Mm-hmm. So I went about just documenting all the um, the um, work processes, the entire company, and pulling on my experience from EDS, where I was working as a financial analyst on deals. And EDS was a software company. You know, they did uh, systems integration at the time, moving people from legacy systems now to the web, it was, you know, the web was becoming new. Mm-hmm. Now, how, um, how old are you, not to interrupt you, but how old were you at this point Um, I was in my late 20s, okay. I guess around 27, 28, okay. when I ended up at uh, Verizon. And um, yeah, so I'm figuring this thing out. And uh, they, once I produced this workflow, um, they were fascinated, you know, the the executives and, um at that point, I began to help them with their operational issues. 
which gave me a really broad view of um, how business works. So while I was an accountant, I also had this operational background mm -hmm. uh, that I was building. And um, so that was very interesting. I, it, it made me, again, more just, I was able to adapt to all kinds of situations and not just have the tunnel view that an accountant would of the outcome. Mm -hmm. I could actually influence the outcome with certain changes in the way people did work. Well, and really understanding the operations, the business side, not just the numbers side of Absolutely. it. And then your decisions that you're making when you have a more holistic view, we're going to be ultimately exactly. more just well informed. Better informed, mm -hmm. better informed. So um, now somewhere in there, I ended up getting married. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was actually uh, one of the reasons why I left EDS. They moved, they were moving and I began to adjust for this new relationship that I was in, you know, mm -hmm. this long-term relationship. And uh, so that's how I landed at Verizon. Yeah. And then, so take us from how long were you ish at Verizon and then where did you uh, go from there? Well, I was there for a few years and then I became pregnant, which I'm sure that this podcast is for all, but a lot of women can relate to the adjustments that you have to make for that as well. Mm -hmm. And here I'm in the late eighties, you know, in this situation, it wasn't as easy to navigate. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my bosses were like, uh, so what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at the time I was really traveling a lot and just, you know, really engrossed and definitely interested in growing my career. It was just that the opportunities were, um, didn't necessarily mesh with the adjustments that I had to make at mm -hmm. the time. And I wasn't able to, you know, there were no, there was no time off per se. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I made a decision then that I really want more control over my lifestyle, my commitments. And um, I decided not to return once I had my child. Mm -hmm. I took some time off and then, um, you know, I was, I was getting calls two weeks in, you know, to when are you coming back? It was just crazy, <laughs> which I thought was, you know, I, I want to come back, but I want to come back under different circumstances. And I was unable to negotiate a gradual and to their defense, they were reliant on me, you know, so, but I did um, end up consulting back to them to Verizon for a while. And um, it turned out that consulting practice started to grow. And I took on other clients. And at the time, my ex-husband, who was a uh, systems engineer, mm -hmm. I should say ex-husband, will tell you how that happened over right. the years, um, you know, wanted to um, also participate as a software engineer. That was his um, expertise. So after a while, we navigated more towards consulting on the software side. Mm -hmm. And so we launched a company called Ingenium Corporation, which was relatively successful. We um, grew it to 300 employees and um, we had a, we were in several states and um, again, everything that I had learned to that point helped me in the entrepreneurial arena. And um, yeah. Do you, I'm going to go back because I think it's still relevant for today, even though to your point, it was more challenging when you were, uh, when you were pregnant in the workforce. Mm -hmm. Do you remember feeling, did you feel like 
I have to make a choice between being a mom or pursuing a career? And do you remember your emotions about it? Oh, it was then? so hard. The one thing I was afraid of was giving up my power. And I had already done some of that just by getting married. You know, it's a, it's a, you compromise. Mm-hmm. I made a career decision in terms of not continuing with a company uh, and going on to another company to sort of, you know, be present. Mm-hmm. And to then, make your marriage yeah, work. Yeah, to make the marriage work. And yeah, it was a compromise. Sure. People do it all the time. Absolutely. Right? They move with their spouse, whatever. Uh, and then um, with a child, I mean, it, in some ways, the workforce became a little bit toxic. I mean, I had people come up to me and say things like, oh, you're pregnant. That's corporate suicide. You know, and I'm like, what? It, what? Mm-hmm. Is that the path? Me being very ignorant about the fact that somehow I couldn't make this work. Um, but yeah, I, I did have to make some adjustments and I was afraid that I would give away my power. So what I thought I was doing when I became a consultant, like independent was I was seizing that power back. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make it happen the way I want it to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but then as the company Ingenium grew, I found that my ex-husband, people were viewing him as the power broker, so to speak between us. Mm -hmm. And, um, there were situations, little microaggressions where people wouldn't even acknowledge me. They would just see him as the, um, the authority. The driver of. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, um, and then as a result, he would get certain opportunities that may be more lucrative. Mm-hmm. So I would allow that. We were both benefiting, you know, financially, but that also required me to take, um, adjust for children. We decided to have a second child. Mm-hmm. And um, I became primary everything. Mm -hmm. He began to travel extensively. And um, so, yeah, so I have to say I gave up a little bit of my power. And it came into play. It was, well, it was um, magnified when divorce was the option. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really, the divorce really was about a power struggle. Right. It was. And- um, while some people are comfortable with giving up power, I was so not that person, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I felt like I had done, I had made enough concessions, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of all the things that we wanted to do as a family and as business partners. And, um, it became a, a point of contention. So, um, what I realized is that our drive was a little bit different, our goals, um, while we were drawn together because we were both aspirational, um, when it came down to it, his value system around success was status and I guess notoriety in some ways. And mine was more building legacy. Mm-hmm. I really, really was working for the joy of working and having my own, you know, destiny in my hand and being able to pass on a legacy. And that's a major conflict especially when you're building something. Mm -hmm. So after, it was a long time though. I mean, 20 years we worked together in the business and 23 years we were remarried. But during that time I did, I did step out and it was fun. You know, I became class mom, (laughs) you know, all those things and commuting my kids to school. But for me, it, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. 
Well, and, and I think that's a real conversation that's yeah. even uh, significant today is that it's okay for women to feel like it, your life doesn't have to be your children, right. right? They're a significant part of it, but it's okay to get and need, I don't know what the word is, value is the wrong word, but happiness. As or, individuals. Yes, as individuals. It's healthy for all of us, yeah. for men, for women. Parent is one a, part. Yes, of, yes, yes. Well, and, and in my case, and I'm sure other women can relate to this, sometimes you end up carrying most of the weight. Mm -hmm. And I did feel a certain, um, I was I was drawn to make sure the kids were all right, especially mm -hmm. that someone was present, you know, especially with my um, ex-husband being traveling so much. And so I, I felt the need to step away for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, now, as the kids became mature, I ended up coming back into the business. And at that point, the power shift had occurred and um, it became a bit contentious. And I didn't want that for the business, of course, because sure. the whole idea was to build a legacy, not destroy it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so that was it, but the divorce was a distraction because we were business partners. Mm -hmm. And um, so that took a while. It was uh, three years divorcing, about three years to separate from the business and ended up having to dissolve it. And I have to say, I didn't win. <laughs> right. You know, I had to walk away with, uh, with my dignity more than anything, but I still had my skill sets and my, the idea that there were no limits. And after all that, I went and did it again. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is the one piece I want to, I want to move on from this to the, the next chapter, if you will. But, but my last question on this topic, what's a piece of advice that you have for people that are getting in business with family, family oh, yeah. in general? That's the most complicated business deal. And um, you need to have an agreement. Absolutely. And we were young and in love and ambitious and, you know, had these vows. <laughs> but you'll find that the people that you love the most, when they're challenged uh, in these situations, they feel most comfortable abandoning the um, verbal or, you know, sort of contract that you had because you're family or because you're their loved one. And that's why you find families fighting. You know, even you can see some wealthy families where they end up fighting over things when they really should be focusing on their legacy, mm -hmm. right? Instead of trying to tear it away. So it's have a shareholders agreement, something as simple as that. And again, we didn't, it sort of, the business evolved and we believed certain things about each other, but not having that shareholder agreement re resulted in a long, drawn out fight to recreate what the agreement was. Mm -hmm. And if you can even think about marriage, it's also a contract, mm -hmm. it, but it's so easy to get into. You don't sign anything, but the marriage license, right? <laughs> but when you divorce, everyone takes stock of what that relationship was and what actually happened. So I would also say, get a prenup. <laughs> now, I think it really makes sense because today, let's face it, many marriages end in divorce. And uh, when things go wrong, that's when your value system is challenged. And uh, that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the value system for any relationship, business relationship and personal, but business, we'll stick with the business for now. Business relationship, I think is the importance of it is huge, it's right? Different. Because it's a different relationship. But if you already have a contract with someone, whether it's your sister you have a certain way of dealing with each other. Mm -hmm. um, all of these things, you really need to 
decide the rules of engagement. How are you going to conduct yourself when certain situations surface? Even in the sale, like in the sale of a business, everyone wants to benefit, but you have different ideas of what that means. So I, you know, I recommend, I, I uh, consult to startups and, you know, friends that come together and they haven't thought about how their role mm-hmm. and their contribution. So it's good to describe your, you know, to define your role, your contribution. You know, what are you bringing? I'm bringing business development. I'm bringing the technology. And how do you value those things mm-hmm. when it all comes down to it? Because when you sell or when you're even investors come in, you have to decide where do I fit in now? Mm-hmm. Because the situation changes completely when another authority, another power comes in. So yeah, it's, it's, um, and it's so simple. It's not difficult at all to have an agreement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the thing you start with. So I do that now. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned. Yes. Yes. So let's go from there. Uh, so that business ends up dissolving and yes. then take us to the well, next not chapter. Exactly. It's all overlapping. Okay. <laughs> you know, because that took six years, like the divorce in the business. So I'm still like trying to do my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after I exited uh, Ingenium, I was still a shareholder, you know, for a while until we finished the deal. But I, I ended up consulting again to small businesses, to not-for-profits, um, joining you know, a couple of boards and companies that I was, um, you know, active with. But it took, it was a blow, I have to say, because with that, I had built this network socially, professionally, uh, that was no longer available to me in a lot of ways. And uh, because of the power and also the conflict, whether it's my attorneys, my accountants, my colleagues in the business, um, the board members that were at first advocates for me, but now sort of joining forces with my my ex, um, I was a little bit lost, you know, as to how to rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um, the consulting, you know, gigs kind of came easy, but it wasn't necessarily a focus that I wanted. I know that at some point I wanted to launch another business. And, um, but while navigating this sort of rupture uh, or disruption, I um, started experiencing things, you know, that made me pause. So I'm no longer coupled. You know, my kids are at this point, my kids are off to college. And um, so I don't have that school proximity, you know, with those types of parents, I lose a lot of business contacts. And then I up and move to a new city because who, I don't know why, but you, know, <laughs> you came, to, Bal- just, you yeah, came, came to, Baltimore. to Baltimore. That's right. I came to Baltimore and um, while I was in Maryland, Baltimore was sort of a, an afterthought. I, uh, you know, spent most of my time in the DC area professionally. So I'm pretty much starting from scratch and um, I end up buying a house uh, in Baltimore, like after everyone's telling me not to come here. It was right after, you know, the uprising around Freddie Gray. And there was a lot of tension in the city and, you know, they still have these issues with violence. Mm And I ended up going, coming into the city to buy a house, but I had in mind that, you know, I do want to be somewhere where I can make a difference. And I also want to start over again. Baltimore was, I could get my hands around it. It was less expensive than DC, (laughs) you know, post-divorce. And um, again, not necessarily ending up where I wanted to be financially with the exit on the business. So I'm, I'm just sort of falling into line with what I've been dealt. How am I going to get through this? So 
I'm loving my house. I'm sitting there one evening and I wanted to go see this opera at the Kennedy Center. And I know this, I mean, this is, this is really, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable on my own, but I still realized that my social structure, like the things that I relied on, the people I relied on were not necessarily there for me. You know, my friends were coupled still. They still did things around their relationship status. Mm -hmm. And so I want to go to this opera at the Kennedy Center. It's a very unique opera. It's 15 hours long. <laughs> I couldn't convince anyone to go with me. And um, it was an opera that, um, it's called The Ring Cycle. Very, um, comes around once a decade. So it was rare. It um, was going to be in production over three weeks for productions. I'd have to commute to the Kennedy Center. Now I'm in Baltimore, you know. So I made all these excuses not to go. But honestly, I really wanted to share it with someone. And so I opted out. And serendipitously, I'm at a party um, at a restaurant opening in Baltimore. And I meet a banker who happens to be an opera singer on the side. <laughs> and he tells me he was in the production. And I thought, oh my gosh, well, I just, I opted out of that. And I feel so bad. He said, well, first he scolded me. And he's like, there were four people who had come on their own, who had come to each uh, installment. And by the end, they had bonded with each other and they had bonded with the cast. And I thought if I had gone, I would have found my tribe. Mm -hmm. And this really irked me. I First, I was upset with myself for opting out because I'm, I'm pretty comfortable on my own, but I still loved the idea that I had a community to enjoy these things with. And I wanted to recreate that somehow. So I started canvassing people around me, you know, as I'm starting to grow my network, uh, like, do you do this sort of thing? I also asked my family, you know, do you opt out of things sometimes because you can't convince a plus one almost universally, Sure. except people who were kind of prickly who said, well, I don't care. I'll just go. I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> but sometimes there are things that are just, they lend themselves to a shared experience. Right. And also I wanted to be able to build my community and, I was a little disillusioned with the dating apps. I mean, just getting in there after so many years and also meet up even like I was getting hit on on meetup and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> so I decide that I'm going to launch this idea where when you don't want to go out alone and you prefer community, you prefer a plus one or plus some as we like to call it. Um, how would you like to go out with this new social network? Mm -hmm. Uh, so I launched on Valentine's day, 2017, this idea. And, um, that I said, we're having a virtual Valentine's day party. No plus one required. Come join this new social network where when you go out, you don't have that awkward feeling. You, when you arrive, you can meet your plus some. So people started signing up <laughs> for this idea. I had no, I didn't know how I was going to fulfill this, um, promise so I went out and started, um, you know, figuring out how could I get events, you know, and venues, hospitality and entertainment venues mm -hmm. to accommodate groups of solos. So I experimented with a couple of, um, it was hard though. I have to tell you, it was hard. And this is a recurring theme. It was hard to get venues to recognize that there's a solo patron that they may be overlooking or sidelining to the bar that they could benefit from mm -hmm. and fill their seats. Mm -hmm. um, now the catch was they had to create a shared experience. It wasn't just a customer in customer out, which is what they're used to. So I finally convinced a theater and a brewery slash restaurant to hold these inaugural events. And 
they were free events, but I mean, I had waiting lists. People came and I thought, this is amazing. And I started meeting this population that maybe even I overlooked mm-hmm. as a coupled person. There were all these people navigating solo who wanted this, whether they were new to a city or, you know, had, you know, made a life shift like me and were trying to sort of strengthen their their social mm -hmm. circle. So people came and, um, you know, that's how I started a mix solo. And I don't want to go on and on about it. You can certainly ask me about how we've evolved. Yeah. Yeah. So um, eventually... Mixolo, the going out app, emerged. It took about a year and a half to get there, mm-hmm. but that was became my new venture. And just because of ex, what I was experiencing, you know what they say, necessity is the mother of convenience, mm-hmm. right? And also I loved the idea of being able to meet people that were not in a bubble, you know, because I did find that the couple bubble is a bubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. and um, there's an age bubble where you don't venture out and you don't necessarily communicate with other people in different generations. There were all these bubbles mm-hmm. and I didn't fit in any of them. So McSolo is um, just more welcoming. It's people meeting on common ground first. And also, you know, we're helping venues, hospitality and entertainment venues fill their seats. How does McSolo uh, transcend age, race, gender, whatever versus other apps that might be out there? By mistake. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when I started out, I didn't know who my audience would be. Even when I put it out on Facebook, it was, you know, looking at the analytics, it was everyone. It was even married people who, whether it was a military wife who, you know, was still looking for community and landing in a city where... You know, she was there on her own because initially we interacted more women, but later like their spouses would come, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but the idea is we made it a, it's platonic organic engagement. That's, we stress that. Um, We also make it, it's a blind um, gathering. Like you don't know who you're going out with. So I think I, like I said, I sort of set that up by mistake, but I was trying to figure out what my market was, like who would want this thing. So it ended up that whether it's a Shakespeare production or a brew walk, there could be a millennial and a retiree at that event from all different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And um, that's just how we roll. And it was really interesting. They're they're connecting on their common ground first. Mm -hmm. And it makes for an environment that allows them to grow their community around that interest. Because let's say you're 70 and you love Rihanna. No, Who doesn't? 70 year old friends wants to go to a Rihanna concert right. and deal with the noise, right? <laughs> but you still want to go. So you go with those um, young people who want to enjoy that concert. And I have to say, we haven't, um, we haven't reached Rihanna yet. <laughs> but BSO, we go to the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. There you go. We have some cool music groups that uh, do events for us. But yeah, so I now looking back on this journey, Maybe I should have focused on a specific audience or a specific type of event, but building something new, you have to take what comes. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we have a variety of events. We had our first trip uh, this past fall um, and we just have a variety of people. And I have to say there's a persona uh, emerging and it's, and I think it's might be because of 
economics, but we have late millennials, um, early generation Xers who many of them have never married. Mm -hmm. This is another trend um, that I now, you know, I follow these trends now as a solo. They have their stuff. They're like amazing career people, you know, from geneticists to ex-engineers, whatever, Um, you know, but they've, they've focused on their careers. They've been what's somewhat geographically fluid. Mm -hmm. So they're moving about, but they don't have that solid circle, but they also love going out. Mm -hmm. So that's a persona that's emerging. That's coming back again and again, but no, it's everyone. And um, now our analytics, which are somewhat limited with the platform that I have, I have to say it's a prototype. Um, They're somewhat limited, but no, the, the largest cohort, if I look at the cohorts, is millennials, then Generation X. But now we're starting to get signups from Generation Z mm-hmm. because we're 18 and up. And there was a study done the other day that that is one of the loneliest generations. And much of that is because they were raised with technology. So they're not getting that in real life connection. And they want it. And they're craving experiences. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're on the cusp of something. Yeah. If you can think of us, we're kind of like an Airbnb where we match a host, a ready host who's solo friendly with guests, solo guests that are ready to go out. So we created this events marketplace of solo friendly events where people can search and discover events, but they know when they arrive, they'll have other solos who are on their own to connect with. People want to go out, but they also want to feel that they're part of something. So that's what we provide. And uh, we're trying to get our host to think that way. And Right now, they're more customer in, customer out. They they like the banquet model where there's a down payment and a reliable group. Uh, but um, yeah, so now we're telling them, you know, hey, you're missing out. There's a solo consumer rising and um, product companies recognize it. The product, the uh, Fortune 500, I'm sorry, Fortune 50 companies are focusing on creating products because 30% of households are one person in the household. So there's a consumer out there that's, unfortunately, some of them are being isolated Mm -hmm. through technology or just, again, the fact that we're so geographically fluid right now, where we're moving about and we don't have those same social structures that help us build community. What do you say to people or advice that you have for people? Like starting a new business is not necessarily early in career game, right? Like you started right. a business. I had some experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, people that want to jump, I have to say it's not for everyone. I, I have to tell you that it's, it doesn't make sense that I would have a startup at this stage in my life. Yeah, let's, let's talk right? about, let's talk yeah, about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, but that is my, that's the way I, you know, that's probably my personality ways. Like I am a problem solver. I also, again, like I, I sometimes have blindfold on when it comes to limits. So that could be meaning I'm delusional in some ways, but (laughs) no, I'm, I'm going to say it, maybe it's not for everyone, but I did have a good solid 10 years of work experience before I really, you know, put everything out there. And my ex-husband and I were relatively young We, at that point, we had one child and we had a house and we just decided what's our threshold? What are we willing to lose? Mm -hmm. And we pretty much said everything, you know, not, not, you know, certainly 
we want to take care of our child, sure. but we could, you know, we could, we would even say that we'd mortgage the house. You know, that would be like the, once we did that, we, it didn't work out. We step back, but we felt confident enough that we had some work experience that we could go back to work if it mm-hmm. didn't work out. So, so we had a plan and, you know, you don't have to start off diving right in. It was a gradual, I was consulting. And then we decided to launch the company officially my ex-husband stayed at work for a little while and did it part-time. Well, and to yeah. fast forward, even McSolo starting that when you did. Yeah, well, right? actually I, mean, I went all in. I did go all in. I was full-time with it for a couple of years, but um, I then fell back on that accounting degree. <laughs> there you go. Keep sneaking up, coming in handy. That's right. And I decided, you know, and I'm, I'm actually doing that part-time and that's really to keep McSolo going. Mm-hmm. So if you have to keep that day job, do it start it. You can start anywhere mm-hmm. with that dream. Or if you're feeling confident and you have a team around you um, and maybe a, you know, financial support, just do it. Because if it's, if it's something that you're experiencing, other people are too. Well, and that's what I think is really so special about you and the situation that you're mm-hmm. with, that you're doing with McSolo is, and it applies to things that you've mentioned throughout your life, right? But the no limits piece of it, the exactly. I have an aspiration, I have a dream, I'm going to go for that and I'm going to learn, I'm going to fail, I'm going to do whatever. And the age or years of experience or what's around me isn't going to stop me from That's striving. Right. That's right. I mean, why not? And everything you've been doing to date, all of anyone listening is preparing you. Everything. It all matters. I love I that. Always, I, I love always that. say doing a menial task right now, do it well. Somebody's going to recognize it and you're going to learn from it as well. You're certainly going to learn what you want. <laughs> you don't want that maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, it's okay to like have your, have a, something stable and still take a risk and I, or jump out and do it. It depends on your situation and certainly set your threshold for what your level of risk is. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I had a certain amount of money that I was willing to invest of my own in McSolo. But at that end of that two-year period, I was not able to reach those revenue levels. And I realized that it was onto more than a business. It was a movement. Like there were were barriers, psychological barriers, societal Mm -hmm. barriers to this idea of identifying this way and for people accepting you as that. You know, well, yeah, and I think it's also really important to note and and for the audience listening that you to your using your words, right? You went all in. It was starting not to generate the revenue that you necessarily needed, but you, your risk tolerance was still. I want to continue this, but there's a practical side to that too that Absolutely. you have bills to pay, right? That's right. So you have a solution for that while continuing to pursue what you want to do, which I think is definitely noteworthy and definitely something that people will get value from. Absolutely. And even that, when I made that decision to major in accounting, when I didn't think I wanted to, oh my God, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. Mm -hmm. It it gave me the freedom to do all of these things. So there are no, there are really no mistakes unless you view them as mistakes. Um, There are disappointments. I'm not going to say there aren't disappointments. This is really hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, one of my favorite books is The Hard Thing About Hard Things. I, I recommend that to every everyone. And this is um, uh, Ben Horowitz is, uh, oh gosh, I hope I have his name right, is the author. He's one of the- um, Andreessen Horowitz. Yes, Andreessen Horowitz. Exactly. Uh, venture capitalist exactly. in California. But, I mean, they they made their money 
working really hard. Now, I have to say their situation was a little bit different than mine. You know, they had a team. They were in Silicon Valley. People were throwing money at them. But it's still, it was still hard for them. There were so many failures. But they ended up, while they didn't, um, they ended up selling what they were developing. Uh, but he ended up being like the forefather of the cloud, you know, with all that work that was put in. And while he didn't, his business, the business itself didn't take off, he changed the world. Mm -hmm. And then he went on to invest in other uh, really meaningful companies. So, yeah. So I'm saying it was, it, everything, even the failures matter. If you can look at it that way. I love the theme that you, that you mentioned that you don't have to have, it's not necessarily a straight direct path in anything, but you can learn things in your career that you can apply to different, uh, different industries, different jobs, the principles that you learn and develop are still applicable regardless of the direction that you might go, which Absolutely. I think is really important. Absolutely. Um, what is, uh, two more questions for you, then I want to get to rapid fire. What is, if, if you could give any advice to, to your younger self, what would that be? And when I say that somebody, uh, or I'm going to say earlier in the, early in the job market or like looking for doing a career change of some sort. Well, so I, younger is probably yeah, not a fair way yeah, to ask yeah. it. Yeah. Well, just making a shift, you yeah. make those shifts. Um, well, I mean, it's a really a personal choice, but I really believe that you should always be pursuing that thing that you're passionate about. Even if it doesn't look like a business idea, it's still going to take you to those places that you want to be. You know, whether it's some altruistic um, dream that you have of serving a certain community, start doing it. Next thing you know, you're the executive director of some nonprofit that's making changes in the world. So mm -hmm. do just a little bit here and there. It, it builds up. I mean, it's so simple. It's true. The other thing is the mindset um, is really important. I operate on first principles. I always, instead of saying, we've never done that before, or that won't work because this is the way we always do it. I, I never subscribe to that. I, and that's the only time I say never. I just don't subscribe to it. I look at the basic, um, the basic problem, the problem with dealing with and all the different possible solutions to solve it. So when someone comes up to me and says, well, why are you doing that? There's already meetup. I said, well, there's a different way to meet up, <laughs> you know, and I'm not satisfied with that. And so, um, you know, it's really, you have to keep that sort of first principle mindset. And if you, you know, people can look it up. I won't go into detail, but it's sort of thinking like a scientist where, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe that was a failure or maybe that worked, but is that, is that the only solution? Sure. Is penicillin the only solution? No, it turned out there were a hundred other antibiotics that, mm -hmm. <laughs> that worked as right. well. And that was based on failure and um, circumstances. So um, I think if we can apply that in life, oh my God, we could do so much. We failure, so much. failure is underrated. Absolutely, I think. absolutely. What is, I lied, I said I had uh, two more and I actually have now two more. Uh, so what advice do you have or perspective do you have for people that, and talking in the business standpoint or the corporate standpoint, that walk into a room and you gave an example of walking into a, a boardroom earlier, right? And not, you, I don't want to put words in your mouth. It wasn't that you felt you didn't belong. That's not at all what you right. said, but 
I'm trying to think how you said it. Walking into a space where mate in a corporate standpoint where maybe- They're not used to you being there. Thank you. That's Absolutely. A, yes. That's really what it is. What I mean, advice do you have for people that feel that? Right. Well, the one thing is, first of all, be yourself. I, I think that's so important. Authenticity is important. And I know people say, no, you should really take on the culture, but you're not going to stand out if you blend in. And while you certainly want to have certain a certain decorum and- um, protocol, the way you're dealing with people, you want to be yourself. And, you know, for many years, people have said, oh, the the road to success is to mirror that other person. That's so not true. It's really to listen and connect with that person Mm -hmm. on some ground. I used to do some fun, like, um, team working exercises when I was, um, consulting. And I just remember doing a, um, it was a environment that I went in where there's it, it, culturally, it was changing. Like young people were coming into an, an organization where it was pretty mature. It was an engineering company. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I had them, they had to figure out one thing they had in common and they had a certain amount of time to do it. And there was an older gentleman <laughs> and a younger woman, uh, a younger, really young. And they ended up coming up with the, um, the commonality they had was they both loved Barry White. <laughs> <laughs> and they were so vastly different people. I mean, like, and it was so funny. And they still connect to this day over that commonality in the office. What? Wow. Yeah. It's interesting how that transcends yeah. to like McSolo, just it, not to go no, back on it. it but is, No, I'm just saying, well, it's the way that I've navigated the world. And, and it's, I'm going to, when I say it, it's worked for me. I mean, there were times where people aren't receptive and those are people you just can't reach, mm-hmm. but you can demonstrate for them. You can certainly demonstrate and be consistent. So I would say, isn't that crazy? Be yourself Mm -hmm. and certainly find a way to connect with that person because everyone wants to feel valued and everyone should leave the room with their dignity. Mm -hmm. I love that. How do you, uh, my last question before we get to rapid fire, how do you define success? Oh yeah, I think I've been thinking about this in um, contentment. (laughs) It really is like you're satisfied with your circumstance. And um, while I alluded to that um, sort of disruption in the value system when I was um, married and in business, um, you know, I really never wanted to like be famous. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was more like I wanted to feel that my job was well done. You know, I kind of want to, I don't want, I guess Steve Jobs may not be the one. I heard it was a terrible boss, but I want to go out like that. Not that I created something amazing, but that when people think of me, they're, they're really, they seem that I made a difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I feel like that's what we're all here for. And anytime I help someone else, I'm helping myself, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think a, a level of contentment. And if you don't have that, that means you're not pursuing those things that bring you that. And to operate based on someone else's expectations is only going to limit you and result in unhappiness. So content when you can feel that this is good, no matter what else is going on around you, then you're living a good life. I love that. Thanks. Um, What else before I get to rapid fire, any other topics that you want to talk about that we didn't cover? Well, I want to thank you. I like, this is my first long form interview. You're rocking it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I love sharing with people and I just, um, you know, if you want to learn more about my journey or if you even want to get in touch, please just contact me through the website. I, I love talking to startups. I mean, I kind of feed off them, right? Because they get what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> or people who are thinking about it. In fact, so many people approach me with their ideas. It's funny. But I ask them what they're doing. So what are you doing to get there? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So check out if they want to follow up or get in touch with you, yes, go to the website. Io. They can contact me there and um, certainly follow what McSolo's doing. We're ready to change the world. So wherever you're navigating solo in the world, you can find your plus sum. Perfect. And I will put a link to the site in the uh, in the write-up for the podcast. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to jump to rapid fire, totally unrelated to what we've talked about <laughs> so far. So just uh, either or. Can you see? You're cheating? No. I'm no, kidding. I can't. <laughs> I have my glasses on. <laughs> uh, moon or sun? Sun. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Brick or stone? Stone. Mountains or beach? Mountains. Netflix or cable? Netflix. Netflix or Hulu? Netflix. <laughs> Netflix or Amazon Prime? Netflix all the way. We have a gold medal winner with Netflix. <laughs> Although I have all of them. <laughs> Summer or winter? Oh gosh, that's tough. I, I love fall. Oh my gosh. But I love winter because I love to ski. I love the mountains. So Okay. Winter, okay, winter it is. Winter, winter, winter. <laughs> all right. And the last one, cats or dogs? Dogs. All right. considering cat. <laughs> This is the Lauren Asgari podcast, How'd Her Career Get There? And again, my guest was Carolyn Walton Lynch, the founder of McSolo. Thank you very much for doing Thank this. Thank you, Lauren. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks so much. And to the audience out there, we will see you next time. Let's talk a bunch of different topics. How'd Her Career Get There? This is a podcast with Lauren Asgari. <laughs> <laughs>